Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. Hey homies, so I am finally getting around to recording my solo podcast where I'm going to share with you how my 2018 went in relation to my goals, Uh, share with you a few numbers, which I'm somewhat hesitant to do, but also I just know that I just wish everybody would share some numbers to, to help for context of you know, what's possible, what we can do, what we can be reaching for. So that's really my ultimate goal when I share my numbers. So hopefully nobody thinks that it's being braggy. But another thing I have read is about why, you know, the whole topic of talking about how much you make being so taboo and why does it need to be so taboo? I don't know. Maybe it really doesn't. And maybe we need to kind of try to turn things around with regards to it being such a taboo topic. Um, So I'm just going to buy into that whole concept right now. Anyway, I'm also going to share a little bit about my biggest learnings for 2018 and some of the changes I want to make for 2019 and kind of go from there. And I haven't fully planned out how and what I'm going to say here, so we're just going to roll with it. I'm going to warn you, I'm still really phlegmy in my throat, so I hope I'm not clearing my throat too much. I did a podcast or a a Facebook Live in my Facebook group yesterday, and I just cleared my throat the entire time. It was really horrifying. I don't know what's going on with me, but there it is. So please bear with me as I kind of navigate my way through that. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. I am not. It is 12 o'clock right now, and I'm happy to say I'm not drinking a glass of wine for once. That's good. Hmm. I shouldn't, I shouldn't take sips of anything because that's the grossest sound on the podcast. Anyways, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. I actually found um, my 2018 goals file. And what was really awesome is that I actually, I think I screwed up. I had been telling everybody what my low, medium, high goal was for 2018 as far as revenue. And... I fully misremembered. And so I actually totally surpassed my high media, my my high goal. So high fives to me for that. Pretty freaking pumped about it. So this is why it's good to write your goals down and not go by memory. But um, okay, so I'm going to share with you a little bit of what my goals were last year. And we're going to see whether or not I actually accomplish them. So Q1, okay, well, we're off to not the best start. Q1 theme was uh, take action, get out of get out of my comfort zone. Um, the reason I say I'm not off to a great start is because I clearly did not do any Q2, Q3, Q4 theme. So that's not ideal. I just burped. That's not good. I'm going to have to take note of that and maybe try to edit that out if I can. Um, <clears throat> but uh whatever. Uh, the, the theme that I came up with, I don't even remember doing this, was take action and get out of my comfort zone. Um, did I do that? I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily did that. 
The one big thing I did do was I joined Rotary, which was very much out of my comfort zone. So for those of you who are not familiar with Rotary, it's uh, it's like a charitable type um, group that does community work. And what I realized was I find it's a little bit too much work for me. And now I'm thinking about joining a different version of, of Rotary I also really have nothing in common with the people that I meet for lunch with. I'm supposed to meet every Thursday for lunch and that's just not worked for me. And uh, they're all significantly older than I am. It's it's rare that I walk into a room and I feel like I'm like a child in the room and that's how I feel when I show up to these things. So when I'm actually helping participate in events, I just feel like I can't really connect with them as well as I might with people a little closer to my age. So that's a goal of mine is to at least try to find something that I can get involved in that helps me network, but also helps me kind of give back to the community. So I did do that and it did get me out of my comfort zone. Could I have done more? I really do think I could have done more. But here's what's cool. My my in, increased yearly revenue was I did a low, medium, high goal. My low was 150, my medium was 175, and my high was 200. Very happy to say that I surpassed my high I came in for the year at 240, 450.22. There, how's that for specificity? Um, <clears throat> now, keep in mind, that's gross. So cost of goods, I'm going to share with you uh, what my percent of cost of goods was with regards to that revenue goal. But this far surpassed, obviously, I didn't even think the high goal was realistic. So I'm going to sit down and really think about what my my actual uh, low, medium, high will be for this year. Um, I'm probably starting the year a little slow, if I'm being honest, but it's fairly in line with what my year was last year. It's pretty much like neck and neck as far as my January, February last year, which, which truth be told was a little slow at that point too. Um, okay, so here were some sub goals that I actually wanted to do. So attract projects that inspire me. I do feel like I attracted more projects that inspired me this year. Um, truth be told, I think part of projects that inspire me have to do with the budget being right, uh, but also the style feeling somewhat aligned with my style. So, you know, I did, I was doing some Facebook um, stories this week and I was, you know, people were saying, oh, I can't wait to see the photos, but I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know whether this stylistically, there's things about this project that really kind of go very against my aesthetic in some cases. And while like, obviously the before and after transformation was great and I was working within their style, I just, I'm so, I'm so careful to make sure that I don't put out into the world more of what I don't want. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that one. I'm going to see how it all plays out. There's some things that I really love about how that project turned out. And then there's some things that um, I just, I wish we could have done different, but you know, I was working with some of the stuff they already had, but it was otherwise a great project, great client and a decent budget. <clears throat> uh, create process to improve my client experience. So I've definitely been working on that. That's an ongoing process. And I think that that's actually something that I'm going to continue to improve. So I've kind of created like a phase one, phase two, phase three. But one of the biggest things I think that, you know what, I'm going to circle back because that's something I want to do this year. Um, 
So uh, what else did I say? Improve marketing message to help attract more clients. I did do this. I worked with Curio Electro, um, who I cannot say enough good things about. She was freaking amazing. Um, she worked with a copywriter to help me improve my language on my website. So I have a new tagline and it's the tagline is come home to amazing and I love it. And she did a really good job of really trying to identify some of the unique elements of my my you know, childhood, my upbringing, uh, the fact that I used to play roller derby, just spinning these things to make a little more sense as far as how they've helped form the designer that I am now. So that's something that I've been working on and I still need to do some more on that front, but uh, I definitely been working on that and I'm, I'm very glad with how that's all turned out. Increase visibility and credibility. Oh, yo, yo, I'm not so sure I've done a great job of that this year. Um, okay, so I'm thinking, or last year, sorry, 2018, I don't feel like I did the best job of the increasing the visibility and credibility. So womp womp, no bueno. Uh, number five on my list was nurture and build an audience by 20%. I don't, you know what, guys, it's not great. This is a reminder of why we should come up with goals and make sure that we're reviewing them on the on the ongoing basis. Um, number six was improve financials. I definitely did do that. I cut out anything that I wasn't doing anymore, and I've come up with a very clear process on how to continue to update my expenses every month. My assistant's been doing that. Um, I did I did hire an assistant, which was really great. That wasn't on my list, but it should have been. Um, open a showroom? Am I insane? Why is that? Why is that on my list? Did I mean that? I clearly, okay, I don't know why that's on my list. That I think that's a typo. I don't know what, what I'm talking about there. Uh, create an online course. I did create an online course. You can sign up for a free decorating kickoff. Now, the only problem with that online course is it's a very DIY targeted course. So I need to swap out. So in working with Creary Electro, my new goal now is to create a quiz, which is going to help clients identify their art style. <coughs> and because I do, uh, I am going to be focusing a lot on art in my designs. So I just, there's a very clear story there given my, you know, I grew up basically in an art gallery. My father is an artist and I've been surrounded by art my whole life. And I really do put a high emphasis on art and gallery walls in my, in my uh, designs. So uh, that's kind of what I'm going to do as far as a lead magnet's concerned. And I'm less concerned about creating an online course anymore. And then I wanted to target bachelors. Let's be real. I want to keep doing that. I actually, um, <clears throat> this has changed. The new goal and what we were trying to do with my website is actually to target more business owners. I've realized and my experience um, in the corporate world, I think, gives me a good understanding of how to speak to business owners. Um, I know it doesn't seem like it probably based on the videos, but I do really understand kind of business and ROI and all that good stuff. Um, and business owners have been my best clients. They're just especially if they own their own business. I think there's an element of those people wanting to make sure that they look like they're successful. So they do want to put money into their home. So anyways, those were my goals for last year. Ah, aside from the revenue goal and a couple others, I would say that I didn't do the best job of kind of nailing those down. But what I want to do now is um, I'm going to share with you a few stats from 
basically um, year over year stats. So I'm going to share with you kind of where I was at in 2016, which is when I started my business. It'll be just for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast and don't know necessarily my backstory. In April of this year, it will be three years since I started my business. So um, I'm going to share with you kind of what things look like. So I've, I've, going to try to identify what I've done here. So let's start with revenue because it's the easiest one. So in 2016, my revenue, uh, started my business in April was just like, so 20,459. Not what I'd call, um, the greatest. And obviously, there's no year-over-year stat for that because I didn't have anything in 2015. Um, this number, I mean, it's fine. It's it's not great, but that was also me juggling. Um, how many clients? Let's see. I had I'm trying to remember how I actually. Oh, I had interestingly though, I did 42 consultations in 2016, guys. It's very interesting, actually. Let's let's start a little bit with um, some of these numbers. Okay, in 2016, I had 42 leads, which is pretty significant. But those leads were very low budget leads, very low budget. Um, and you're going to see too how many projects I had. I had the most projects, hilariously, in 2016. I did 18 projects, which means there was additional work done after the consultation. So I put together a proposal um, and I actually did 18 projects. And I remember being spread so thin that year that I was going absolutely crazy. So 42 leads. 39 of them um, actually turned into a call. I had 42 consultations. So I guess I did some consultations where we didn't necessarily talk on the phone. I don't really know. The thing about 2016 is that I did free consultations. So based on my numbers, I did 28 unpaid consultations. And then about halfway through the year, I started to charge. So and then 25 proposals. So yeah, 28 of the consultations in 2018 were unpaid. Not an ideal situation. Not not great. Um, I sent out 25 proposals and then I did 18 projects. So my conversion rate, let's see. Um, conversion rate of proposal to project was 43%. And good news is that number has gone up. So in 2017, I sent out 26 proposals, 16 of them accepted, so 47%. And then in 2018, I sent out 22 proposals, 13 of them accepted. So it's the least amount of full projects I did this year, but then my revenue is the highest I've ever had. And that is what you call win. That is how I want to live my life. (laughs) So, but um, 57%, wow. I didn't really look at these numbers as hard when I pulled them together. Um, Okay, so let's identify here. So consultation, consultation, this is the, let's see, uh, discovery call to consultation. Uh, You know what, those numbers are kind of boring. Uh, Discovery call, so leads in 2016, 42 leads in 2016, 50 leads in 2017, 51 leads in 2018. And what I'm very happy to say is that they are getting better and better leads, much more qualified. 
Um, I did 39 discovery calls in 2016, 38, 2017, and 30 in 2018. And one thing I did change last year was that I'm trying, I'm no longer allowing clients to just, or leads to just book a discovery call right from my website. So that was a big change that I made last year. And I think I like this change. Um, so far, it's proving to be good. So what happens now is they actually go to a lead form. So, hey, you want to work with me? You're going to click on a lead form. You're going to fill out some questions that I'm asking you. Then you're going to, what happens is they get an automated email that gets emailed to them right away. And basically it says, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Um, if you haven't had a chance, uh, it's really a good idea if you go check out my portfolio because guys, I'm shocked by how many people don't even look at my portfolio, which somewhat is insulting. I wish I wish the majority of people had looked at my portfolio because then I'm like, they're contacting me because of my portfolio, but I don't feel like they do. Um, number two, read my FAQs, which I've tried to soften a little bit, but it's saying things like my minimum fee is $5,000. Here's how much you should be spending on furniture. I'm trying to qualify my leads a little bit better before I get on a phone call with them. And then it says something like, you know what, after you've done all that, then uh, click here to schedule a call. And normally what happens is like three days will go by and then, um, and then I will, uh, you know, normally I get like a, 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 discovery call booked or if they haven't and I'm like okay this one looks really promising then I will follow up manually so that is something that I think has worked really well because discovery calls are exhausting and I want to I really want to make sure that I'm connecting with people who are really serious and are ready to spend what it's going to take okay guys so consultations in 2016 I did 42 reminder that a lot of these were free which I think makes it a lot easier to sell through but um, as you can see, the numbers speak for themselves as far as how valuable those free consultations end up being. We're talking 20,000 revenue versus 240,000 revenue. So significant. Um, in 2017, 34 consultations. And then in 2000, now, okay, in 2017, my consultation fee was probably 250, but then changed to 350. So there's a little bit of the element of it's a little more affordable. So that number's fairly high again. And then last year, I only did 23 consultations. So first of all, this tells me there's a lot of room for improvement. Let's do some quick divided by 12. That's like, okay you know what, I fully understand I should be able to do this. It's like less than two a month. It's very interesting. These numbers are very interesting when you think about how little it takes. Um, to me, these numbers really tell me how important it, it is. I just listened to a Kimberly Selden podcast about uh, flat fees. Like I literally just listened to it this morning. I'm going to tell you, she said something really valuable, um, like she always does. So it was episode 99, Transition to Flat Fees. <clears throat> so um, she said something like, you know, you could, could, do you want to juggle, you know, 30 projects and to, in order to make ends meet and be going absolutely crazy? Or do you want to charge a premium and have less project and be less tired? And I know for me, I'm on the less projects more money per project and be less tired. Mostly it's, um, has a lot to do with my mental health. <laughs> I've talked a lot about this. Um, I actually have a doctor's appointment on Thursday 
I'm just going to be real. I'm, I'm meeting with a psychiatrist and I really want to talk about my anxiety. And, and while well, he's not the type of doctor that diagnoses, but he's going to try to identify what we can do to kind of help kind of make that work a little better. Um, but anyway, so this is a really, I think for those of you who are on the fence as far as like, oh, I'm scared to up my hourly rate. I'm scared to up my, my consultation. You know, yeah, you're going to have less consultations. So I've, I'm less than half the consultations I had in my first year, which in my first year, I didn't even work an entire year doing this. It's actually quite insane when you think about it. And yet my revenue is, okay, again, I'm going to try to do some math here. Um, this is terrible. Once again, I don't know what nine times is that, is that right? Times nine. Oh no, it's like 10 to, I don't know. It's a lot. It's 163, uh, per, no, it's okay. This I'm gibbering and none of this makes any sense. But anyways, 20,000 versus 240,000 is a significant change. And I think it is really telling as far as charging, uh, I pay, I charge now 450 taxes in for my consultation, which nets out to be about like two, 425 plus tax for my consultation. If I'm, if I remember correctly, but I did like the idea of just saying 450, like all in, not a number and then adding tax on the invoice just felt cleaner. Um, but it's, it's working really, really well. All right. What else can I say here? So that's the proposals. Plus I made the, I did the least number of proposals this year and proposals are a lot of work. So I'm on board with that. My conversion rate from proposal to project was the highest, which is really exciting. And I only had 13 projects and I was able to, um, have $240,000 in revenue from 13 projects alone. I'd say that's pretty freaking amazing. I'm going to do the math on that now. Yeah. So I'd say like on average, on average, uh, about less than 20,000, uh, per project is what I was making per client. Really amazing. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about referrals. So in 2016 referrals were 6%, which makes sense. I really didn't have a client base. So those referrals were all probably friends and families like referring people to me. 2017, 50% was referrals. In 2018, 69% were referrals. So this is obviously a number I really want to increase. Um, in 2016, repeat clients was 6%. Uh, you know, again, no, low number, barely in business. In 2017, it was at the highest at 44%. And in, thir- and in 2018, it went down. Now, ideally, you don't want your repeat business percentage to go down. But this is why it's important to look at your numbers and understand them. Like you can't just look at these numbers quantitatively. You need to understand qualitatively, like what is the reason for that? And there's a very logical reason for that number to go down. A lot of my clients that may have reached back out to me, reached back out to me and they had been a client previously when my rate was significantly lower. So when I come back to them and I tell them, Oh, guess what? Um, you know, my, uh, Basically, my my fees are now much higher, then that's going to go down significantly. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Anything else worth noting here? No. Okay. So let's talk about revenue again. So um, year over year from 2017 over 2016, I increased my revenue 347%. So I went from 20,000 to 91,000. 
Uh, from 2017 to 2018, my year-over-year year was 163% increase, which is amazing. But the numbers that I like to look at, preferably, um, is kind of where I'm at after cost of goods. So, and while I didn't actually... I, I'm going to add that. So I also want to look at the percentage of that revenue that actually represents cost of goods. And so in my very first year, nothing was cost of goods. I did not source to the trade at all, which is obviously represented in the revenue numbers. So cost of goods in 2016 was $0. In 2017, 30% of that number, the 91000 was cost of goods. So basically that the more accurate number, <clears throat> excuse me, is like I, the kind of would have been more like 79,000. And that's the number I like to look at and, and kind of think about in my head because that's kind of more true to what you're taking home. In last year, my cost of goods was 50%. So 120,000 of my revenue was for cost of goods. Okay, if you're new to the design world, um, I, should, I should elaborate as far as what cost of goods means. So if you're a newbie, don't worry, this is all things you're gonna learn as you go. But basically cost of goods means the, the cost to purchase furniture to the trade. So I'm just gonna make it a really simple example. I buy a sofa for a thousand, Sorry, yeah, I buy a sofa for $1,000. My cost is $1,000. I sell it to my client for $2,000. I have made $1,000. But what's important is that that $2,000 is still the number that shows up in your revenue. So let's say, just to make things simple, last year I made $2,000 in revenue. Well, realistically, $1,000 worth of that is cost of goods, so 50%. So really, kind of what I'm taking home is more like $1,000. So I like to track this on an ongoing basis because I like to know what I'm dealing with when I'm actually looking at my numbers. So I always have a spreadsheet for all of my invoices that backs out any cost of goods that I know so that I can really get an understanding of where I'm at. And for me, knowing that after cost of goods, I'm at 120 I'm already making $20,000 more than I was making when I was in corporate. And this is only three years, um, my third year. No, it's only two years. It's actually two years after I've started my business. I feel like I'm on a really, really good trajectory as far as where I'm going to be. Guys, when you, you have to start crunching your numbers like this because it's very exciting. Obviously, I have to assume in five years from now, if these numbers, I mean, the, the year over year is probably not going to continue at these like massive percentages. Like I can't, I expect that number to kind of go down a little bit because there's a little element of like things kind of flattening out a little bit or they're not going to grow as much because there's not as much low hanging fruit um, when you continue with your business. But it's very exciting to think about where you'll be five years from now or like 10 years into your business. And I don't know, that's very exciting. Anyways, guys, so I, all that to say, I had kept telling people that I did not meet my revenue goals last year because I thought that I made my high goal 250, but I did not. So I far surpassed my revenue goals, my high revenue goal last year. So I'm going to really sit down and try to I'm going to come up with some numbers. I want to make it make sense. 
Now, I did ask the questions as far as like, what is a good number for your cost of good percentages to your revenue? And I was told that in the 40%, 40 to 50 range um, is a good range to be in. So my goal is going to be to get my cost of goods maybe closer to 45% of my gross revenue, and then obviously increase my gross revenue. But I've got a lot of work to do if that's going to happen. Like, I, I got a lot of work to do. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so that's very exciting. Um, okay, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about some of the biggest learnings I had in 2018. And here is uh, the first one. Now, maybe not the learnings, but some of the biggest changes even that I made that I think were huge and I highly recommend you doing these in your business. So after having a podcast. Um, I did a podcast episode with Kimberly Selden. So if you guys don't know, I'm actually going to look it up right now um, to see if I can tell you what podcast number it was because, oh, I don't know. I can't find it quickly enough. But um, I did a podcast with Kimberly Selden on her Business of Design podcast. And when we were talking, she strongly encouraged me to read my contract at the consultation. Uh, let me tell you, I was very resistant to this idea. Did not want to do it, but I did it. And now I do it every single time. And um, well, when I say every single time, I do it every single time when I know it's not just a consultation only consult. Um, so why is reading your contract good in the consultation? Well, I really feel like it lays the groundwork for managing expectations for the clients. Cause I talk about, you know, different things that can go wrong. Um, I talk about, um, what else do I talk about? Uh, you know, how the invoicing works, that what my process looks like, the receiver stuff. And it's a really good opportunity to make sure you're explaining everything. And honestly, I don't want clients to not read my contract. So my biggest fear is clients just accept my contract without reading it. And like, maybe some people think that's great because, oh, good, they didn't read it and they didn't get scared off. But I kind of would rather scare a client off a little bit because then they are knowing what they're getting into. And what I've learned, biggest learning from 2018, is that my my best projects and my best client relationships are the ones that I've completely managed to the best of my ability from go. And so um, a, a well-managed client or a, a client you've managed the expectations to is a client that's not going to get angry when things go wrong. So um, I one thing that I... <clears throat> Sorry, I'm making notes. Um, I'm making notes as I kind of go here because I'm thinking of new things that I want to talk about for 2019. But um, I, I'm going to give you an example of somewhere where I didn't manage expectations very well. So I did a. Pro I, I worked with a client not very long ago, um, at the end of last year and then into early this year, where all I did for her was finishing touches and selecting a few fabrics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my thoughts and feelings on doing that going forward, but. Um, because she wasn't really like a full service project and really was kind of just getting phase three from me, which is for me, um, installation and finishing touches. I did not do the best job of laying the groundwork of, okay, you know what? Your drapes are going to take six to eight weeks, but also we have to wait for the fabric to show up. And, um, 
you know, the pillows are going to take three to four weeks, like, you know, and then sometimes the fabric's going to go wrong or this or that. And I just, I didn't do any of that because we just kind of went right into it. And my process for just starting at phase three wasn't as tight as, you know, all the things I go over, aka the contract with you're starting in phase one. So then she started to get a bit like upset when the pillows weren't arriving on time. And, you know, this wasn't happening. And she's like, you know, is this just really bad luck? Or is this just common? And I said, I just I decided to be really honest, I sent her an email back. And I just said, Look, you know what, I, I didn't do the best job managing expectations, because I don't do just finishing touches very often. Normally, we cover all of this in phase one. And normally, we're waiting for other elements to arrive while those things are so a couch normally takes 10 to 12 weeks. So it doesn't matter that it takes six to eight weeks for drapes or four weeks for pillows. Um, and I really apologize for not managing your expectations well enough. This is extremely common in the design world. And I'm, I'm not at all shocked by it. And I apologize for not having manage your expectations well enough. I also find it's better to just be honest. I prefer people to just kind of be honest and coming at somebody, um, coming at somebody defensively just makes them more angry. But if you just kind of own up to everything, it really disarms people. So anyway, so what I realized was last year, managing expectations is absolutely one of the biggest things. And I did create a document that they would get in the very first phases of their project. But um, I think I'm going to start talking about those elements at the consultations as well, because I don't, I wasn't liking that they would sign a contract and then I would send them this expectation file after they accept the contract, pay the fees that they are paying. And then basically starting into uh, the project, they would get another document that was just kind of like, oh, by the way, this can go wrong, this can go wrong, this can go wrong. So now I'm going to kind of merge that into my contract and talk a little bit about that in the contract so that I just all all the gross stuff's out at the beginning. And then when they actually accept, it's more of a like, high five, we're going to get started. And this is going to be amazing. So so that was a big thing that I've realized in 2018 and something that I'm going to keep working on making sure that I get it right. One of the things I'm going to be doing is putting together documents as far as when we get into uh, phase two, which is like execution and you know construction, wallpaper installation, window treatment stuff, I'm going to put together documents that are specific to key things. So I've already started like wallpaper installation. Okay, here's the deal. Um, things can go wrong. If I need to be there on installation and if I'm not there and something goes wrong, you're going to have to pay for, I mean, it's all going to be said way better than this, but you know, there's going to be a corner in the room where the pattern might not line up. And that's just kind of the way that works. Um, just varying things that can go wrong and managing those expectations before that happens is going to be really helpful. So window treatments, uh, you might find that your drapes are going to grow depending on the humidity of your home and things like that. So, then it's just out there already and we kind of warned them and we told them what was going to happen and they know it so they're not as upset when things go wrong. Um, Another big thing that I learned and I finally implemented in my business once I finally allowed myself to accept it and, and believe that I could was working with a receiver. So I've now officially done this for three projects, all of which were, let's say they were in the at least... 30 plus range for budget. Um, And what I've done to pay for the receiver is 
I've rolled in a line in my proposals, my furnishing proposal. Also, by the way, I've explained how this works in my contract, which I've explained in the consultation. So there's no way that they can be like, oh, well, I don't want to do it that way. Because I basically tell clients, you know what, a project of this size, there are exceptions possibly. But if I'm working on a project that's like a significant chunk with lots of moving pieces, I'm not going to take the project unless we work with a receiver. That's my policy. I've done it before. It's been a complete and utter nightmare and I won't do it again. So all that being said, I've explained to them in the uh, consultation basically what that would look like and that they're going to pay um, a fee for that. I'm going to pause this real quick and pull up some documents, so bear with me. Okay, I'm back. I found the documents that I wanted to share with you. So at the consultation, with regards to using a receiver, there are obviously fees that you're going to incur in order to store furniture at a receiver and have them check the furniture and then have them ship, like deliver it all in one day and then obviously install and remove all of the garbage. So this is what I tell them in the consultation when I'm reading my contract. Often freight and delivery, this is in my contract, often freight and delivery charges are not known until items are purchased and delivered to the home on installation day. To keep the process moving forward, freight is estimated in the furnishing proposal, varying from 10 to 15% and will be reconciled at project completion, which means the client will be reimbursed or invo invoiced if there are additional fees. The installation fee estimate may include freight, receiving, assembly, storage, wallpaper and installation, white glove delivery, and removal of garbage. So all of that now, I'm still trying to, basically at the end of every project right now, I'm doing kind of like a review of how much did my freight and delivery cost to make sure that I'm estimating enough on the, on the um, proposals. But for the last three proposals, when I send, and I use Ivy, just in case anybody's wondering, I have a line in the proposal and I just literally pull a number out based on my last experience or what I think is seems reasonable. <clears throat> And so for this proposal, which in total, including the freight estimate was $30,000, the freight estimate is included. I did one at $2,500 and I just wrote the same thing I just said in the contract. So basically, they're, I'm trying to collect all the money I can up front so that I can pay for the shipping of all the stuff to the receiver because there's the shipping that is incurred for that. And then the warehousing and I pay about $200 a month to warehouse based on how big my projects have been. So you know, if I triple my project size, that number is probably going to go up. And then delivery. So the installation day. So the most recent one, it was about I want to say it was 800 ish, 800 to $850 uh, for them to deliver all of the furniture, unpack all the furniture, like, you know, install and assemble all the furniture and then get rid of all the garbage. Um, so, so that's kind of worked really, really well for me. I've also been able to roll in things like electrical work, like if somebody's replacing um, the light fixtures art installation, uh, things like that. And I'm just going to keep on uh, trying to monitor what it's costing me per project to be able to get better at estimating that price. So that has worked amazingly for me. And it's pretty much a non-negotiable for working with me going forward. If you're not willing to work that way, 
then you got to find another designer. It's just, it's just way better. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Not working with friends. Now I created this world for myself last year and I was doing really well. I wasn't doing it. And it's a really easy thing to say when Here's what I've, I, here's either what is the reality or what I, my perception is. Friends and family reach out to me and they don't realize how expensive I am. And then if I were to try to work with them and send them a proposal, they'd probably fall on the floor or they're, you know, they'd just be so shocked that then it just is awkward. And, um, or if we do work together, it's just, I just think that there's too many things like with, with my mental health issues that I kind of, I'm always feeling inadequate and and worrying that I didn't do a good enough job or that the client doesn't like it enough that I don't, for myself, working with a friend and having a friend complicate my already crazy mind is just not mentally healthy for me. So I broke that rule and I accessorized a client, uh, a friend's home because she had a great, like she lived in a very wealthy part of town. And I thought, oh, you know what? Um, this would be great because if somebody sees that I, what I did, then, you know, da, 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 whatever. Well, truth be told, I can't even really use the before and afters because I didn't furnish her home. I only styled it. And <clears throat> she, she, also already kind of had like she's already pretty good at, at designing and decorating her home that I felt like I wasn't able to even do what I truly wanted and then I was just left feeling awkward again it was the second time I worked with her so after that experience firm 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 no longer working with friends and what's great is um and and if you're not sure how to handle it and you feel the same way just it's so easy to create rules and parameters for yourself that makes it really easy to say no because it's just like your company pro- like protocol or your company policy. So for example, sorry, I don't do just finishing touches, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, sorry, I don't not sorry, I don't work without a receiver. It's really easy to just lay the groundwork and then you then it's up to the client to make that decision. It's not up to you because you can then focus your efforts on things that light you up and really inspire you and make you feel good instead of the stress that comes along with some of these things. So come up with a rule. If you're on the train that, you know what, I don't like working with friends, great. Just say, I don't... I, you know what? I made a rule for myself. I don't work with friends. I'm telling you, every person I've said that to has come back and said, oh, you know what? I get it. You know what? I've eliminated any of the awkwardness. And the truth be told, my immediate circle of friends are not people with the budgets that I'm looking for. And I'm not going to do that to myself anymore. So, so that was a big learning from last year, like where I'd already kind of made that rule up and then I broke the rule and I was reminded that I need to stick to my guns. Like I'm not doing this. That's it. So then the last thing I really learned last year is something a little less specific and tangible, but it's that as soon as you allow yourself to believe a certain thing, so whether it be that you can charge a certain amount for your consultation, whether you can charge a certain hourly amount, whether a client will hand over a $30,000 check to you to deposit and then order all of the furnishings, and then whether a client will allow you to pay additional funds for you to use a receiver. 
I was resistant to all of these things. And I realized very quickly that the moment I allow myself and my brain to believe that it's possible, it became possible. So one of the biggest things that I want you guys to kind of leave this podcast with is that where you're saying no and you're resistant and you don't think you're worth it, you need to try to open your mind and believe that you are worth it and that things can happen because other designers are doing it and you can too. And Another thing you all want people to be careful of is the stories they've tried to convince themselves like, oh, I really like doing this. I love hanging art. I love working with low budgets. Okay, maybe that's true. But I want you to really dig deep and, and really identify whether that's truly what you feel or would you rather juggle less clients, have better budgets, and feel a little less tired. So... I challenge you to to think about that a little bit and try to identify whether or not you're telling yourself a story because you don't believe you're worth more than that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about <coughs> changes for 2019. I um a couple of key changes. Uh, number one, I'm only doing full service projects. So. I have basically removed on my on my website any talk of, you know, design only, e-design, consultation only. I don't even think I say that anymore. But it's all about full service and that I help clients from beginning to end. That's the type of project I want. I'm not interested in anything else. That being said, if I'm in a situation where I have a consultation with somebody where They don't necessarily need full service and maybe I'm a bit slow right now and I really think that this can be an easy project that's inspiring me and I want to do it, then maybe I will suggest it. But I'm going to do it on my terms as opposed to having it be a service that I provide that I then kind of feel obligated to deliver to clients that I don't think I want to work with. Because here's what I know about clients who only want to do design only. Those are the biggest headaches clients I've ever had. The lower budget, the client, the bigger headache that I'm going to have as a result. So it's really important that I set those parameters for myself. And once again, it makes it really easy for me to get a call and and tell people like, this is what I do. That's not what you're looking for. Then here's some names of people that you can reach out to. Also, I increased my hourly rate to 150. I have yet to actually... I have not sent a proposal out all year, so there's that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling very fine with that number, and I'm not even worried about it. Um, I'm also, I, I changed for 2019 is that I'm going to automate my lead process significantly. So I'm uh, going to continue working with Curio Electro. I, I got a little bit crazy, so I've had to put that on hold right now. But what I'm looking to do is automate my lead process so somebody fills out that form, they get that automated email I told you about. But then if they don't schedule that appointment, a discovery call, let's say three days later, they're then automatically going to get a new email with a follow up that, you know, says whatever it says, haven't figured this out yet. But it, it basically does the grunt work for me so that I don't have to and it has a consistent message where I feel I need to and where I'm I'm like super inspired by lead that I think is a really good one. I might do manual intervention, but at this point though, I just want to make sure that everything's automated and I want to make sure that there's some automation happening to somebody who just shows up into my, um, my email list as well. 
So I'm trying to, I'm trying to automate as much as I can um, to make my life easier and to make the process more consistent from client to client. Um, let's see, I'm going to, I've been working with an assistant. Now she is going to be having a baby, but I am working with an assistant and I'm going to be really think about what I need for an assistant on an ongoing basis. So I, I think that what I need is somebody who is very administrative because that's really where I need the help. I don't necessarily need the design help right now. Um, not right now anyway. Um, and I want to automate, I want, sorry, not automate. I want to have an assistant take care of phase two. So phase two is purchasing, uh, managing any painters, trades, construction, um, all of these things like scheduling appointments for all of this. And I really want to make that be like somebody else that I'm working with project so that I'm basically just dealing with phase one and phase three. I need to be networking more. I need to be finding where the type of client is. I need to start getting into those um, networking groups and really figuring that out. Okay, another thing I'm considering, okay, is is changing how my fee structure. So I was estimating my fees, but also it wasn't totally a flat fee because I was saying, okay, I'm estimating this number of hours. If it ends up being more, you're going to pay me more. But on the flip of that, if it ends up being less, then in theory, um, they might pay less. So I have, I feel like I've come in, I need to do a better review of this, but I feel like I've come in below my, I I feel like I've got a real good handle on estimating my hours for projects now. And so I'm going to take a look at going back to flat fees where I think it makes sense. The bigger the project, the more this makes sense. Small projects, which I don't do as often, I won't be based on doing full service only, but a client that I've already worked with who maybe just wants to add you know, drapes in another room, which is going to happen. I'm just going to do that hourly. The smaller the project, it's bills hourly because those are the ones where you can't, when you come up with a flat fee, that number looks too big and you don't want to give it. So you just need to go hourly in my opinion. But the way I'm going to format it is basically 50%. So I, I used to estimate fees based on phase. So I would just give them phase one in my initial proposal and say, you'll know what phase two and phase three is later. But now I'm going to estimate the entire project. And then I'm going to say 50% is due up front. And then 50% is due after presentation. And then that's going to be it. Because what was happening was I was asking for 70% up front at the project onset. Then I was asking for 30% of the presentation. And then shortly after that, we were going into phase two. And then I would have to ask for more money like within a week or two. And that was just a really gross client process for me. And then sometimes I just wouldn't want to invoice. So now if and now I feel like I have a really good handle on phase two and phase three and what those are going to cost me that I feel like I can estimate for the full project and then just break it up into two easy payments and then go from there. So I'm going to be testing that out this month. Another um, goal for the year is to really crack down and figure out um, how to deal with my anxiety. So like I said, I have a doctor's appointment actually on Thursday, but it's, it's a real priority for me to figure out how to deal with my anxiety and my procrastination and identify whether there's a deeper rooted issue there. So we're going to look into that. Um, I am no longer, another change I made is I'm no longer sharing my trade discounts. Um, I, here's what I've realized. I am, I'm not charging insane rates where I feel like giving a discount is ideal, like is what I need to do. Um, what I need to do is build up a profit, uh, account 
money in my account that is there to make things right if things go wrong. Ideally, things don't go wrong, but I think we can all safely say that there's always something that goes wrong with a project. And sometimes we have to take ownership of that because it's something we could have done better and it's not fair to the client to make them have to pay for that. So I'm of the mentality that I think a better client experience is one where I can make it right where I need to without completely bankrupting myself versus giving them a trade discount where I feel like they barely even acknowledge or are, are appreciative of the discount. So especially based on how I present it, it's just kind of like an Ivy, you just kind of say, oh, you got 10% off of this, um, 15%, and it never quantifies that number, and I've never really quantified that number. So I'm just removing that from my contract, not even talking about it. Most of the time, clients only know that there's a trade discount because we've told them. So if somebody asks, I'm going to say, um, if we're sourcing retail, you're not going to get any discount. But if I'm sourcing trade only, you're going to uh, more than likely pay less than what the suggested retail price would be. And that's what I'm going to leave it at. Now, will I offer discounts, um, potentially, if I think, you know, the client's been great, and I want to make sure that they will get this one piece, like, I'm going to do it, but it's going to be on my terms and my prerogative based on kind of how the client is and, and what I think is suitable. And again, I haven't done this yet. But I'm feeling very excited. Because if I look at let's pretend, um, let's pretend, you know, 2018, I had shared my discounts, I could probably assume that I could add another maybe 10 grand to 20 grand onto that revenue. And that's money left on the table. Now, you know, I will see how that goes. I've obviously got to do it and test it and see how it works. But um, right now, that's kind of how I feel. And I'd rather just know that I have a cushion to give my client the best experience possible where where I need to. And it's important that I do not compromise my own, you know, home, like my own bank account, and putting myself in a bad situation in order to do that. And I think we can all agree that clients... Clients expect way more from their furniture and from everything when it comes through us. And they put a higher, um, it's like they have higher expectations. And so when a piece of furniture doesn't exactly work the way they expect it to, where they might have bought it on their own from West Elm, because they bought it through us, they're going to follow up with us and they're going to want us to make it right. And I want to be able to be the designer that makes it right when I need to. My philosophy right now is like, I'm not trying to be the cheapest and I'm, but I want to try to make sure that they have a great client experience with me and that they feel really good about that. Um, okay. Another, another change for 2019 is that I am not offering finishing touches only anymore. Again, on my prerogative, if I decide I want to, because I'm slow, um, you know, I'm having a slow period and I'm inspired by the project. I think the client's really great than I will. But um, I really just don't think that I can handle just finishing touches. Number one, there's a lot of things that go with that. Admittedly, one of the reasons is that when you come in to just accessorize, I find the expectations are significantly higher. So I find that the before and after from a home that you furnished and then shortly thereafter accessorized versus all I've done for you is accessorized, then the expectations are much higher, which also puts, a, which is fine, 
but it also puts a lot more emphasis on how much I need to buy in order to get it right and how much time and effort needs to go in it. And the truth is I don't find that people really want to spend that much money on finishing touches. So it's just a little bit harder to totally um, exceed expectations, I guess. Um, this is, again, a mental thing probably that I have about it. But if I'm working with clients and I have two finishing touches, like installation day slash finishing touches day in a month, which I feel like it's all I can handle based on how I currently do this, I am going to be talking to somebody in the near future about how they do their installations. It's... Um, you need to follow them on Instagram. Hold on now. I forget. Gray Oak Studio. Shout out, ladies. Gray Oak Studio has done a bunch of stories about their styling day, and I'm very curious to hear how they handle it because they do seem to show up with a lot of stuff, and I want to know how they make this as efficient as possible so that they're not spending all this time shopping and all this time returning. Maybe they're doing all those things, and maybe it isn't you know, the quickest process, but I'm very curious to hear how other people do it. Mostly because it's probably the most exhausting part of the entire process is that finishing touches. So for that reason, I'm not going to do finishing touches only. Again, I'm basically going after full service, beginning to end clients going forward. Um, now to add to that, somebody else who commented in a group, and I did try to see if she would be um, a guest on my podcast, but I don't think she's down, uh, is... Uh, Lindsay Brook design. So she was saying that she has her own inventory, which makes it much easier for finishing touches. So that's another goal of mine for this year um, is to actually purchase a bunch of stuff like key pieces that I know I need most of the time for projects. So probably like stackable boxes, trays, vases, things like that, that I can use and pull from my inventory in my basement, I guess, um, and go from there. Um, not only that, then I'm also going to be able to make additional revenue from that. So after I pay my taxes and I figure out the tax implications of my 2018, I'm a little nervous about that. <clears throat> but um, once I know whether I've got a bit of play for some money to put against that, I'm going to do that because I think it's really important to do that. And I do agree with her, but I'm still curious. Hey, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Brooke, which I think her name is actually Lindsay Bor Borchard, um, but from Lindsay Brooke Design, if you listen to this, by some crazy chance you're listening to this, I'd love you to be a guest on my podcast. I love, she always does really good Insta stories where she's sharing some tips and stuff for business owners. Um, and then the last change that I'm making for 2019, I already said, was I'm absolutely not working with friends. Absolutely not. It's not happening. I'm not doing it. Anyways, guys, um, that's kind of the review of last year in a nutshell and what I want to be doing for next year. Obviously, I want to increase my revenue again. In a perfect world, I'd like to get my after cost of goods closer to 170. So let's see. That means I'm going to put this out into the world right now. Let's just say um, that times. So that means I need to get at least 340,000, 330,000. 
I don't know. Can it be done? Who freaking knows? But um, here's to hoping, and I'm really excited. Oh, guys, one more goal for 2019. I'm actively going to try to get a segment on a TV show. I really want to get on the social, and I've, to date, I've just been sitting back and hoping that it will happen on its own, but that's unrealistic, obviously, so I'm actively going to start doing what I can to get myself on a TV show and be able to share tips um, on, on a Toronto-based show. So fingers crossed. Anyways, guys, I am going to let you go. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to continue to follow my journey, go to Business Homies Facebook group. Um, Leave a review, guys. Do me a favor and leave a review. I've been reading them, and I do plan to read some on on my podcast episodes in the future. They've been amazing, and they warm my heart so freaking much. You have no idea. I appreciate you listening every week. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, homies. Are we recording right now? Yes. All right. Take two.